0: Nymphs. Imagine a girl stepping slowly from a pristine waterway moments before there was no one there. (laughs) And because we're using our mind's eye, imagine three or four more girls playing together in the same crystalline waters. They too have suddenly appeared. For the ancient Greeks, every spring and pond and river was protected by such beings. These creatures, these nymphs, were invariably ageless young girls. I said ageless, but they were also ancient. Nymphs existed even before the Olympic gods and before the birth of mortals. They were not all immortal, as some died after living for centuries, In reality, they existed in a magical world between mortals and gods. And nymphs were generally harmless, but not always. For a man, encountering a nymph, while alone, might be precarious. You may have heard the term nymphomania. That's from the word nymph. It means uncontrollable desire in a woman, and it's derived from a belief that some nymphs would bewitch innocent young men, becoming their lovers and never releasing them from the dark, wild woods where they lived. Welcome to Episode 17 of Garner's Greek Mythology. I'm your host, mythologist, and best-selling author Patrick Garner. You can read more about my novels and about this podcast at PatrickGarnerBooks.com. All of my books imagine the ancient gods living in modern times. And check out the page about Greek gods I've added to the website. It's a great overview of all things divine in ancient Greece. As always, this podcast series will focus on one thing, Greek gods, of course. Here the ancient gods are not considered imaginary. Instead, they, like you, are here now. Nymphs. These graceful young girls not only populated waters, they were found throughout nature. Every tree and every sacred grove was believed to owe its life source to a nymph who lived within it. Not all nymphs lived in springs and trees. There were mountain nymphs and sea nymphs and nymphs in the smallest waterways. Wherever Greeks ventured into nature, they were conscious of these beings. As village dwellers, they were aware of being watched and measured and evaluated by intelligent beings who were wild and unpredictable. Usually, nymphs were invisible, but... Thousands of Greeks reported seeing them as nymphs seemed to be everywhere. Nymphs presided over all natural phenomenon, including clouds, caves, meadows, and the rocky beaches found all over Greece. They cared for all the fauna and flora in their domain. Plants thrived under their watch, and deer drank fearlessly from their springs. As nature's spirits... They were associated with several of the Olympic gods, including Hermes, Artemis, Poseidon, Demeter, and Dionysus. In all three of my novels, Artemis is followed by a hundred nymphs who play multiple roles. They're hunters, administrators, grad students, and shepherds. Of all of the gods, Artemis, whom we followed in episode six, had the closest association with nymphs, the most famous of Artemis' nymphs were the Pleiades, seven sisters who were her constant companions. They were the daughters of the Titan Atlas and the sea nymph Pleione. Although Artemis herself was a virgin goddess, as were most of the nymphs she protected, the Pleiades were an exception. They became wives and mothers of many legendary Greeks. For instance, one of the Pleiades' sisters, Maya, was the mother of the Olympic god Hermes. She was a shy and naive girl who was easily seduced by Zeus. Another sister involved with Zeus was Tegeti, who mothered the boy who grew up to found Sparta. The sisters were also courted by Poseidon, Prometheus, and Ares. Between the seven, they bore more than 15 children, many who went on to found cities throughout Greece. They also became teachers and nursemaids to baby Dionysus, helping Semele's sister raise the child. Eventually, to honor and immortalize the nymphs, Zeus transformed all seven into the constellation we now call the Pleiades. In my novels, The Winnowing Cycladic Girls and Homo Divinitus, nymphs play an immense role. One of them, Temesa is transformed into an all-powerful goddess from the beginning of time. The Pleiades were mountain nymphs, but there were many varieties of nymphs. One early type were the Meliads, who lived in ash trees. Their origin was horrific as they were born from the splattered blood of the murdered Uranus. Remember how we spoke in a previous episode about how Uranus' son Cronos killed him? The ancient writer Hesiod relates that blood from this murder fell on the earth and from it was birthed Aphrodite. The Meliads were born from the same blood at the same moment. These nymphs, spawned from tragedy, became the wives of mortals. Their husbands and offspring were called the Melians, some of the earliest Greeks. They were warriors, famous for their unbreakable spears. The shafts were, of course, all made from ash trees. The sons of these nymphs, all Bronze Age warriors, reveled in killing. The ancient writer Hesiod said of them The Melian were a brazen race, sprung from ash trees, and they were terrible and strong. They loved the works of Ares and all deeds of violence. Zeus was said to so dislike these warriors that he refused them the gift of fire. At some point, they infuriated him enough that he destroyed them in a flood. Other tree nymphs included the Dryads and the Hama Dryads. The Dryads lived in groves, woods, and deep mountain forests. Have you ever walked through a woodland and come across an ancient tree that seemed almost conscious, even intelligent? Its immensity and sheer presence may have been overwhelming. Perhaps it sheltered a dryad. These dryad nymphs were the spirits of oak and ash, pine and poplar, laurel and apple trees. Remember the story of Daphne? She was originally a laurel nymph. Apollo fell madly in love with her, chasing her through the woods. Daphne's father, a river god, trying to save her, turned her into a laurel tree. The nymph became the very tree she had once protected. Even Apollo could not undo what her father had done. There was another variety of dryad called a hamadryad. Hama in Greek means to girdle or to be bound to. And these nymphs were bound for life to a specific tree. The tree and the nymph were born as one. And her life and the tree's life were a single thing. So if the tree died, so did the nymph. And similarly, if she died, the tree followed. Think about this. If a Greek entered a sacred grove and decided to fell such a tree, blood would flow from where the tree was struck. A story is told of one man who decided to cut down a large oak from one of Demeter's sacred groves. He struck it, and indeed blood flowed from the nymph who lived inside. Despite this, he continued until he cut it down. Afterward, in their grief, all the other Dryads begged the goddess Demeter to punish the man, which she did, for his crime. He suffered for months with an insatiable hunger which was impossible to satisfy, until he, too, died. We've mentioned nymphs in many of our episodes. One was Thetis, a nereid or sea nymph. She was the mother of the famous warrior Achilles, To make him invulnerable, Thetis dipped the baby Achilles in the river Styx, which made him invincible. But where she held him by one heel, he remained dry and unprotected. This is the origin of our phrase, to have an Achilles' heel. In the Trojan War, Paris, the son of the Trojan king, shot Achilles in his one unprotected spot. Trojans said the arrow was guided by Apollo. Regardless, it killed Greece's greatest warrior. And so Thetis's negligence came back to haunt her as she held the dying Achilles in her arms on the battlefield. Another famous nymph was Arethusa. She, too, was a Nereid and Thetis's sister. Unlike Thetis, Arethusa dedicated her life to Artemis, taking vows of chastity. Why did she do so? One morning, she came across a stream she'd never seen and decided to bathe. She didn't know that the stream was occupied by a river god named Alpheus. Seeing the girl naked in his waters, Alpheus fell in love He disguised himself as the stream itself and slipped between her thighs. Shocked at what she felt, Arethusa screamed and prayed to Artemis. Hearing her cries, the goddess appeared and hid Arethusa in a cloud. Later, she became one of the goddess's right hand nymphs. Arethusa appears in all three of my novels Homo Divinitus, Eclatic Girls. The Winnowing. You can buy any of these at Amazon. I should note that some nymphs were considered extraordinary and exhibited awesome powers which entitled them to be called goddesses. Perhaps one of the best known was Calypso. Calypso. Like the Pleiades sisters, she, too, was the daughter of Atlas. And like Circe, who starred in the last episode, Calypso lived on an island. What tied Circe and Calypso together was the Greek warrior Odysseus. Circe lived with Odysseus for a year. She gave him rest and repaired his ship. Calypso, on the other hand, kept him for seven long years. Like Circe, she too fell in love with the man. The poet Homer wrote, quote, The nymph Calypso, a goddess of strange power and beauty, had kept him captive with her arching caverns, yearning for him to be her husband. Homer continued, "Odysseus's ship had been destroyed by a whirlpool, and he escaped on floating wreckage. For nine days he drifted, on the tenth night, the gods let him reach an island. There dwells Calypso, the goddess of braided hair, strange powers, and of human speech. She welcomed and tended. Homer then wrote that Calypso, quote, lavished every care upon him and offered him deathlessness and agelessness. Yet all of these gifts failed to win his heart. Hesiod... Writing about the same time as Homer said, Calypso, shining among goddesses, joined in love's delight with Odysseus and bore him two daughters. And so time passed. Years went by and Odysseus, despairing that he would ever see his home again, was never truly happy with the beautiful Calypso. Homer in the Odyssey described what happened next as she found him looking over the sea in tears. Quote, Coming up to him, the goddess Calypso said, Listen, unhappy man, I am willing now to let you go. Come then, take tools of bronze, cut long beams, and fashion them into a wide raft so that you may be carried over the misty sea. I'll put food in it with water and red wine as well. I'll give you clothes to wear and will send a fair wind behind you to let you reach your own land unharmed. So she spoke, but he retorted, Goddess, your purpose cannot be as you say. You cannot intend to speed me home. You tell me to make myself a raft across the great ocean, one so baffling and so perilous that not even rapid ships will traverse it. I will not set foot "'on such a raft, unless I'm sure of your goodwill, "'unless, goddess, you swear a solemn oath "'to neither plot against me "'nor craft any new mischief that might lead to my ruin.'" Homer continued, quote, "'These were his words. "'Calypso smiled and answered, "'You are all too cunning. "'No innocent could have mustered such words.' So be it then, let earth be witness to me, that I will plot against you no new mischief to your ruin. Calypso went on, I see that your mind is firmly set on returning now without delay to your home and country. Go then, and joy go with you. Yet if you knew, if you fully knew what miseries are fated to fill your cup before you attain your own land, you would choose to stay here and Join with me and be beyond the reach of death. Odysseus answered her, saying, Goddess and queen, I know the truth of everything you say. I know that you are immortal and unaging. Yet still, my desire and longing is to reach my home. Homer then concluded his tale, saying, The nymph then began helping him to leave. She gave him a great axe of bronze easy to wield and a keen double blade then she led the way to the far side of the island tall trees were standing there when calypso had shown him where the trees stood he began to cut them down and the work went briskly later the goddess brought him pieces of cloth to make a sail by the fourth day all of his work was done on the fifth lady calypso made ready to let him leave her island. She bathed him first and clothed him in sweet-smelling garments. Moreover, the goddess put aboard one skin of dark wine and a larger one of water with provisions in a sack. Last, she summoned a fair wind that was warm and kindly. And so the hero Odysseus finally left Calypso's island after seven years, never to see the nymph and his two daughters again. Clearly, nymphs played a unique role among the divinities. Some were the lovers of male Olympians, others served Artemis, who in turn protected them as long as they remained chaste. Still others seduced mortals, particularly the water nymphs who might grab an attractive male if he came too close to their sacred spring. As a result, many young men were terrified of nymphs, and why not? Greek mothers warned repeatedly that if a young man were seduced by one of these wild things, he might never return home. But not all nymphs who fell in love with mortals succeeded in consummating their love. I'll end this episode with a well-known example. You're familiar with the word narcissist. It's derived from Narcissus, the name of a young man so handsome. He was considered beautiful he thought so too and as a result only loved himself one day he was in the woods hunting and was spotted by a water nymph named echo he had stumbled upon her spring as he paused to revel at his own reflection echo saw him from below and instantly fell in love but the romance was not to be zeus's wife Hera had cursed echo with the inability to speak for herself Once again, Zeus had dared express interest in some woman other than Hera, and the poor nymph, not her pursuer, was punished. And now all Echo could do was repeat or echo the last words spoken to her. Narcissus had been warned about nymphs and was terrified when Echo sprang from the waters to show herself. On seeing her, he shouted, May I die before you enjoy my body? Helplessly, she repeated, enjoy my, body. enjoy my body. He looked at her in horror. Echo was shamed at his rejection, and she slipped back under the waters of her spring. His instinct, of course, was to flee, but he couldn't help but glance a final time at his reflection. He was so pleasing that he whispered, Oh, beautiful boy, I love you in vain. Echo repeated, I love you in vain, I love you in vain, vain. and watched brokenhearted as Narcissus turned his back forever on the lovely nymph. I love you in vain, I love you in vain. In our next episode, we hide ourselves hoping not to be seen as we observe the fates and the furies, sisters who determine the lifespan of every mortal and who punish murderers even after death. They were the spawn of the goddess of night who gave birth to numerous dark and fearsome things. be sure to visit PatrickGarnerBooks.com or find me on Amazon. My three novels are set in today's world and feature Greek gods who meddle and maneuver as they always have.